Big Fluff. So what do you do? I'm a cop. <laughs> Come on. Really? Jenny, get off of there. Fire, Jenny. Fire. Are you okay? Yeah, sure. Why? You look bad. Look like you just ate something bad. A cop, huh? I want to fly here. You wear a gun? Yeah. You're not on duty, though. No. Can I ask you a question, just you know, civilian to civilian? Sure. You're a good-looking woman. I mean, beautiful, in fact. Why, why would you want to become a cop? I like to slam people's heads up against walls. <laughs> that was fantastic. I am Joel Murphy. <laughs> And I'm Andy McIntyre. <laughs> and this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are continuing the month of June where we are watching movies by women filmmakers. And here to discuss Catherine Bigelow's Blue Steel is the one and only Katie Long. Hello, Katie. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Good. I Look, the silver lining already is that intro. Like that <laughs> yeah, was... <laughs> uh, it was so fun to do. Thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> All right. So tune in next week. Yeah, that's right. it. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, uh, this is Catherine Bigelow, probably one of the most celebrated directors of the last 20 to 30 years. I mean, she's made movies like Point Break and uh, The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty among others. Uh, but early on in her career, she made this. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're here to talk about. Blue Steel. Yeah, everyone just goes from Point Break to the Hurt Locker. And we kind of hand wave. But no, there were Strange Days. There was yeah. uh, a couple other movies in there that were really good, too. But the most well-known movies are Point Break and then 24 or 14 years later, The Hurt Locker. Right. Which, I mean, I, I have a lot to say about this movie, but I think a good starting point is I love Catherine Bigelow as a director. Like, same. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I have to qualify her and like Point Break as one of my favorite films. And um, so, yeah, I was I was excited that it was I, I had not seen this movie no. <laughs> before. No, I had not seen this either. <laughs> I'm not even sure that Catherine Bigelow has seen this movie, if we're going to be perfectly honest. Yeah. She might not have. Yeah. She's she's at home listening to the podcast. She's like, I guess I did make that. Huh. <laughs> she's like, I thought that was that Ben Stiller, like Zoolander thing. I didn't know. That's a movie. Well, and it's before I think it's the year before Point Break. And to me, the beginning, like it it almost reads as like a rough draft for it. Like it, it's just it's interesting because you can tell it's her, but um yeah. wow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she can still direct an action scene. Like, that's clear even in this movie. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. But very know. obvious. Yeah, that she has a very good eye for action. And splooge, is that what you call it? Like blood coming out of people like in a in a goopy kind of way. Is I, that what it's called? I know that like there's a scene in Point Break where someone's shot in the foot and the amount of I thought it was called. <laughs> might not is well, that not the term are you talking for about it? A squib is that the, yep. the term squib yeah, yeah. uh not splooge don't don't google <laughs> what you else? said yeah don't google your else? word <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, 
Oh my gosh. Yes. It's squib. It's squib. That's yeah. what I was looking for. Yes. Yes. She makes good use of the squibs. Yeah. And Tom does. Sizemore. Yes. I was delighted um, to see Tom Sizemore in this film. Always frequent appear on the podcast. Yes. Tom Sizemore. Mm. I feel like he's shown up quite a bit. Yes, he has. Uh, Cause he, uh, he was in every third movie from 1989 to 1996. So he was I, prolific. I was like trying to, in my mind, make a world where Tom Sizemore was his character from Point Break and like another cop it's had this like, world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Had ruined his like undercover again. <laughs> you know, he has a very similar energy he's bringing to it. Yeah, it's the world that we now is, is, is that world. Um, yeah, but yeah, this is uh, first feature film, but pretty early on and I was commenting to Joel uh, before he was, uh, joined. Like, man, even though I'd never seen it before, this was such a nostalgia trip for all of the like early '90s cop thrillers that got made. Like that, just those type of movies just don't happen anymore. And I was like, oh, I remember like just randomly picking up a, a VHS off the shelf at the video store, and and it being one of a myriad of cop thrillers. It definitely hit the beats of all of those. Yeah, yeah, it really is just like, I, I guess we should set it up because I'm imagining that a lot of people have not seen this movie. So, yeah, the the quick setup is, is Jamie Lee Curtis is she's like fresh out. Of, we, we literally start. She's still in the Academy and she uh, like has just graduated. She, I think, first day on the job. Yeah, I think uh, it is. very early on. Yeah, she's in a convenience store and a guy is robbing it and she completely unloads uh every round from her gun into, uh, into his she, chest into his chest which is where we get the squibs squib uh, not yeah. to be confused <laughs> with splooge uh, uh, i have a guess of what splooge might be and i'm yeah. so excited to google it later <laughs> i think it's what the guy who actually grabs the gun uh has <laughs> when he's <laughs> yeah. he, he has a lot of splooge going on at other points yeah <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, but yeah, Ron Silver grabs the gun, grabs the piece of evidence in either a robbery or a murder. Definitely, a, he definitely stole evidence from a crime scene, right? And leaves with it, and then uh, becomes infatuated with uh, Megan Turner, uh, one of only two Megan Turners in all of New York City, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I mean I am one of like five Katie Longs at the climbing gym in Baltimore, right. so I can't. No way <laughs> is this woman the only like other Megan Turner in New York City, in in the largest city in the country, right? It's <laughs> a very unique name. Two times over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those very unique names, Megan Turner, right? Um, but yeah, Ron Silver then starts uh, through his infatuation, starts murdering people with uh carving Megan Turner's name onto the bullet casings and yeah. uh you know cuz people are so notorious for murdering people with signed bullets they assume that Megan Turner is committing these murders so they take her badge and her gun cuz it's not an early 90s cop thriller without someone's badge and gun getting taken uh and then through a series of unfortunate events uh she gets back on the force and Goes, starts dating Ron Silver's character, Eugene Hunt, unbeknownst that he's her stalker, in fact, person that's infatuated with her, uh, ends up sleeping with her superior in a, right. something that's in no way, shape or form a breach of uh, conduct in the police force. Uh, then he gets murdered and then 
there's a big gunfight and the movie movie ends. He doesn't die though. He does. Yeah. yeah, that's but right. her best friend does. Yeah, right? that's right. Like, yeah. I mean, he basically just you know kills everyone. And I I think one of my questions do do you think he um, Ron Silver was he just happened to be at that like supermarket or the market I guess. Yeah, I mean the way in the, the opening scene, I think he just happened to be at the bodega where she, where the robbery right. happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it really is the the gun. We didn't talk about the fact the gun like spins in the air and then just fortuitously lands right. next to him, and then something like he because he's having like an American psycho. He's a Wall yes. Street like trader, and it, it something seems to unlock in his brain in that moment. The combination of watching Jamie Lee Curtis gun down this guy and then the gun landing next to him he steals it uh and then becomes the son of sam killer yeah yeah just Basically. to be clear yeah. <laughs> like, and it, it it seemed like a strange like crime of opportunity which is an opportunity that like i wouldn't have read into having a gun like you know uh fall next to me in a bodega aisle but it's just like I guess I could do this. <laughs> Can we so also strange. talk about what there's so much I want to talk about about this movie, but one of the wildest things up there with only two Megan Turners existing in all of New York is mm -hmm. I don't have the exact number, but the, this is a bodega. There's the there's the robber. There's Jamie Lee Curtis. There's Ron Silver. Uh, there's the cashier. Mm -hmm. There's at least one other woman. And there's then an like, older woman with like curlers in her hair. Yeah, there's an older woman yeah. with curlers in her hair and maybe another person, I think. But like, yeah, what ends up happening is she she unloads her gun, kills him. And then the gun, you know, lands. As we said, he takes the gun. But then when they're investigating the shooting, uh -huh. they're like, well, he didn't have a gun. And nobody remembers that he had a gun. Right. Even, they even say that the cashier remembers him having a weapon. But it could have been a knife. And it's like, I mean, Tom Sizemore could not be more in love with this gun. The way he's just waving it around. He might as well be like the Joker from Batman. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and it's not like, yeah, it's not a gun in his pocket. The gun is mm -mm. out, fully visible. And yeah. that scene is long because there's a lot of time where Jamie Lee Curtis is a long distance away and she's trying to sneak forward. So this robbery lasts several oh, minutes. Right. And nobody clocks this large no gun in his hand that, as you said, is just no, this he, huge Smith and Wesson revolver. Yeah, it's it's truly wild to me that, yeah, that plot point that like nobody remembers the gun. And it's such an important plot point because it hinges on why it's like, well, you're off the force because we guess you just shot somebody who was maybe even a customer in law. <laughs> like they really yeah, they give her no benefit. Of the doubt. Yeah, right. Which yeah, they're either overreacting or underreacting, and I honestly right. can't decide. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. This is this is just the first instance of this movie just not being able to pick a lane. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, they, it could have been a whole movie about, you know, the nature of memory and how we don't always remember what we think we remember. And they could have, like, played that path. Or it could have just been a very straightforward police procedural, and they could have done that path. And... Yeah, I think that's one of the things that just uh, mucks this movie up so much is that it's just so much is like kind of crammed into all these different plot points and psychological angles that it just gets real muddled. Well, uh, and, I, and I think one of the important things to to follow up with that is the killer. The what is his name? Hunt. Uh, Eugene Hunt. Eugene. Eugene yeah. Hunt. Uh, because he is. Half the time, this sort of Machiavellian 
three steps ahead. I'm using my lawyer, who's Richard Jenkins, who we haven't mentioned yet either. Like I, I'm playing you and you're playing into my hands and you're such a hothead cop that I'm making it look like you're framing me, even though I'm mm-hmm. clearly guilty. And then the other 50% of the time, he is like unhinged, com- completely unhinged and so obviously a serial killer. He's hearing voices. He's like in Central Park, just digging like so it's it couldn't even pick what kind of bad guy the bad guy was. He's too like very contradictory people at the same time right he's yeah he's like goes back and forth between being just totally out of control and then really calculated like when he's like lifting weights i think the 80s loved that like butterfly machine oh they love baby they loved it exactly (laughs) oh my gosh and he's just you know thinking about killing someone then and then and then yeah the hearing voices that was a real throwback for me it's like oh yeah remember when all serial killers used to hear voices voices? yeah wait like he just alternates with no rhyme or reason between first act Pat- Patrick Bateman from American Psycho and third act Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Right. Sometimes the, just like without you seeing the slow break that that sort of built that movie up. Yeah, sometimes and, it's in the same scene that he's both. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that was kind of hard for me to understand, too, was why, because we are introduced to the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis has no friends except for one best friend. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Two parents who... For some reason, it's I, I never understood why it was such a disappointment that she is now a cop. Like her father is so disappointed in having a daughter who's well, a cop. I, there's I mean, no, no explanation. I mean, he's a huge sexist and a terrible human being. He's a, he, yeah, is he's, a, he is abusing Nurse he's Ratchet. An abuser, yeah. exactly. But <laughs> also, can I just say too, this is one of the things, there's a lot of things about this movie that I feel like hit differently in 2022 where it, 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 it felt like the way that my brain took that versus obviously it was not intended that way. But it's very funny, the idea of a parent like now in 2022 being like, oh, my daughter's not. Sure. Like, why is she a cop? Which is not the reasons that he would have had no. then. No, I mean, I was convinced that he was like mafia. I was like, well, he must be on the other side because it does seem like Catherine Bigelow situates like I'm just going off of like Point Break and Hurt Locker and I guess Zero Dark Dark Thirty. It's like you're either cop or non cop. You know, there's like a cop and non cop world. So I'm like, well, I guess this family is non cop. Like they they call that the Bigelow binary. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So that so they they are painting Jamie Lee Curtis as like she's just this singularly focused like single woman who has one friend and parents who she has kind of a strained relationship with. Um, and she, we already see her at, I mean, I think the the intro uh, that you played the scene is her like really dumping on this guy at a barbecue who doesn't seem like he's kind of uh, like not, a, I don't know, a catch either, but she had seems to have high standards for herself. And then Ron Silver somehow is just the most intriguing person and i don't know if that's like this 80s he works at wall street so he's <laughs> the best is that what it is i guess yeah he's I in a suit out. he's well, in a suit and he does he yeah. does business uh, you know yeah he, he went to the business factory and did a business um <laughs> and the fact that the movie lasts over at least several weeks if not months and his beard stays the exact same like the whole time it's impressive it's it's i mean as as someone who maintains a beard, it's not that easy. Like it takes a little bit of work. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And just. Just the level of like lady cop in this world. Right. You know, the, um, but also, a, to, can, can we just be clear that she probably shouldn't be a cop? Like, I just want to say that definitively, because in that clip, 
She literally says she wants to be a cop because like she wants to hurt people. She really likes shooting her. She tells her partner right before the convenience store that like basically she can't wait to shoot someone like she is a cop for all of the wrong reasons. (laughs) All of the reasons that in 2022 dad would be upset that his daughter became a cop. Right. Yeah. All of the all of the ACAB reasons for uh, wanting not wanting their kid to be a cop. Yes. That's very true. Yeah. So I just want to be clear on that. But yeah, I think that's a good point, too, that yeah, the. The guy that from that clip that is her friends trying to set her up with is just fine. He's nothing. He's neither good nor bad. He's a human being who's like, oh, I'm yeah. asking you questions about your Maybe job. Maybe a little sexist, but. Maybe, but like, I mean, for the time period, he's pretty. For the pretty- time, he is chivalrous. <laughs> yeah. For the time period, he is yeah, a real hardcore feminist. Yeah. But yeah, yeah literally all it takes. He just sh- set down his Gloria Steinem to have that conversation <laughs> right, totally. at that point. I mean, for for Eugene Hunt, I think all he does, his whole move is that he he offers to let her get in his cab in the rain. I think that's the move. That's the chivalrous move that wins him over. And this is another like plot question I have is like, is he stalking her? Like, d- is that on purpose? Or it would have to be. Yeah, it would have to be. Right. That's after the robbery. So he's yeah, already so become like, obsessed with her. Yes. Okay. Okay. That wasn't just a meat cute in NYC. No, it was, it, I, the meat cute was him seeing her and grabbing the gun, the gun of the man she just murdered. I also right. I like I don't want to be too pedantic about stuff like this because I don't think it matters in this movie. But there is a question in the same breath as like, why does no one remember the gun? Why does no one remember? Like, is presumably so through editing, she shoots Tom Sizemore and then we're like at the next scene. But like if that happened, yeah. they would interrogate everyone in the store including him unless he snuck out somehow so it's like well, they, they imply that he is he's yeah he scooped up the gun and then snuck away i get but why in is the that hustle not, and bustle i and, and and nobody again all these people are terrible eyewitnesses nobody remembers that he was there or notices him I, mean, I, I don't know about you but i would remember that well manicured beard oh totally yeah. <laughs> you I know mean, so this is another reason why jamie lee curtis probably shouldn't be a cop because she doesn't remember one of the five people that were at <laughs> this shooting um that he i mean he was on she must have seen him leave and i think he's the closest one to her right because the the gun lands next to him so he'd have to be like he's right very close to the shooting at (laughs) any rate and the other thing that they set up that's like somewhat intriguing is it almost reminded me of like samuel l jackson and unbreakable of like it's like he's convinced like that they're two sides of the same coin or something. It's like you you have it. You just don't see it. Right. Like he's like Jamie Lee Curtis and him are both like people that want to shoot people in the chest, Which, I guess. And they like set it up and then they just kind of drop it like. Yeah. No, right? I, I thank you for saying that. I totally agree. Like I actually to be clear, like while we were kind of going through all this. I kind of liked the setup. I was into it. Like I, I, mm-hmm. and I especially this idea that she was a hothead. It kind of had this like justified like Raylan Givens vibe like if you were going to do a thing like with her and you know like he was going to be Boyd or something you know these two people that it's like look you might have the badge but look you wanted we both want the same thing we both want to kill people you just found a legal way to do it I was into that pitch and then you're completely right like yeah just it forgets that and then becomes six other movies like (laughs) throughout the run right right yeah I would Uh, would argue done well with Johnny Utah and, and Bodie. 
I will say. Well, again, yeah. I mean, look, we're not we're not quite I know at this the silver. Isn't a point break podcast. I was just going to say we're not quite at the silver linings it's not yet. Not a point break podcast either. <laughs> but yeah, to be clear, I I think the biggest silver lining when we get to them is that this led to point break. I mean, I think yeah. unequivocally, oh, yeah. the lessons that she learned from this led right. her to her masterpiece. Well, and I think that segues into. I think on the whole, this is a reasonably well like shot and edited and made movie, especially, you know, given what movies look like at the time. But one thing that like I thought was a huge mistake, for lack of a better word, is so she has the one nightmare where she's falling out of the helicopter and he like grabs her and stares her down. But then and that scene is like edited a little bit different than the rest of the movie. Like it's a, like the frame rates a little bit. It's just different. But then like eight other scenes that actually happen in the movie are edited that way. Like when her best friend gets shot, it's edited that way. Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, all the violence like with, uh, uh, Clancy Brown getting shot is edited that way. Um, the, you know, and again, an another just content warning, uh, the sexual assault is edited that way. Like it's just like, but then it doesn't play with the idea of, is this real or is this happening yeah. in her mind? And, you know, but, and maybe that was something that she had pitched that then, you know, because she was a new director that, you know, they made they made changes before she could get to it. And that's maybe there's a much maybe we need to release the Bigelow cut is what I'm saying. That maybe this this was uh, there's some much better ideas that were made. But like it was just weird to me that like there's the one clear dream sequence. But then a lot of the other violence after that is edited exactly the same way. And it's just like makes you wonder like was there the intent that this was going to be some like is this really happening is mm. this you know and it, that just i thought was very confusing that's really interesting i was i was specifically confused with the best friend getting shot yes. yeah that's the yes. that's the biggest example really definitely. edited and i i think part of me was hoping too i'm like oh man this is rough because she did think... nothing wrong she, no yeah. Elizabeth Pena just there being the best friend yeah. for the 400th time of her career. She was, the, she was the only one who went to the, the graduation ceremony. I know her parents didn't even go. Yeah, I know, which I, it did. It, it was surprising to me. I don't understand why he didn't kill her parents, which that seems like um, maybe I, an edit, too, because it's like, I guess he's still kind of in this relationship with her. And so he needs parents for that. I don't I, I was really I was sure he was going to kill them. Yeah, well, I was particularly thought. Because, again, when I still thought we were going to continue to do the we're two sides of the same coin kind of thing, mm -hmm. I thought the reason that they were doing the plot line that her father was abusive was because I thought he was going to kill her father for her oh, and be like, and be like, this is what you I did it, what you want to happen. Going back to the idea of like, I, you know, we both want the same thing. Right. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do it differently than you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thought that's where we were going in the scene. And then it didn't happen, which. One, yeah. So why did any of the stuff with the parents happen? And then it also just made it like, why was there an entire subplot about her dad abusing her mom that didn't like it's just there. It just it yeah. exists in the world sort of unresolved, which is very weird. And the, uh, I mean, that and those characters are written in such a superficial understanding of domestic oh. violence that it's almost dangerous oh, it's to like portray a, it like that. Yeah, it is like a PSA for like a bad, oh. just, yeah, none of, like, let, yeah, I think it's fair to say that is the worst writing in the, the whole thing is just like, oh, yeah. the way all three of them are speaking about it, the way the scene happens, her arresting her dad, like the whole thing just feels yeah. like a different, worse movie. Right, it makes 
makes you wonder if like Catherine Bigelow somehow like didn't have enough money for the whole set so that she had to like split the set with an after school special (laughs) that like those two people, Nurse Ratchet and who's the I mean, they're both famous, like really great actors. Yeah. Like it's like they walked on to their Bosco. Thank you, Philip Bosco. Yeah. Like walking on to their set and having to yes and that and somehow make it the same movie because it's (laughs) it's rough. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. And it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's just it. Do, you could cut all of it, and like the movie would it be better for the it. Movie at all? I didn't yeah. get it. And I, Joel, that's such an interesting idea of like, yeah, it, it, I didn't think of that, but it would it would make a lot more sense if that would have come full circle, but it did not. Yeah, well, because then it's a weird thing too, where it's like they're putting her parents in danger, but it's like, do we want her dad to be okay? <laughs> like, it's like, are we okay if he gets it? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It. there's just and like her just sleeping with clancy brown i mean that i get uh, well clancy brown is a dreamboat in totally also especially in this movie oh my goodness well especially in this movie and every movie clancy brown has ever been in like just (laughs) kurgan i mean when he's the the shawshank prison guard all of them oh yes of course i loved him in promising young woman he's such a wonderful father i will say too this and promising young woman are like the two most notable things where Every time I see Clancy Brown, I always expect him to be the villain. And these are mm-hmm. the two like nicest characters that he. Yes. Yeah. And I it's well, always that and uh, uh, Mr. Crab from SpongeBob. But even Mr. Crab's like <laughs> a little. You know, he's, he's an antagonist. At yeah. Times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, love Clancy Brown. Uh, yeah. But I, they're like them sleeping together comes out of the furthest well, left field. Well, yeah, I that entire sequence of them together sleeping together and then uh that scored like halloween too also <laughs> yeah a lot of this movie is also yeah. look way too much of his mouth and mouth sound effects like during like, yeah, like the, my, the foley was way too turned up in that scene and it's like sure. it's these weird close-ups of her stomach and his mouth and these gross sounds and it's, <laughs> it's just him slurping up her stomach it's i don't so know. gross it's yes like, that yeah. was so interesting yeah <laughs> Uh, but that was all terrible and then the like you kind of touched on it and I don't really want to talk about it too much but it's just like the it's very jarring and upsetting the then like assault that happens from the villain that feels completely out of left field and just like I it's so abrupt and comes right after everything that we're talking like all of that like that entire sequence was a very weird series of choices yeah and it was kind of edited dreamily like everything else so like had she woken up from a nightmare right after that i wouldn't have batted an eye at the the narrative choice of the movie i kind of thought i would that's what i was expecting because it is so over the top that it took me a minute to process like what was happening and it's edited strange too where like she's not really in it which I guess is great. Good for Jamie Lee Curtis, maybe. But it right, was hard yeah. to understand. Like, is this his fantasy? Like, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. And how did Ron Silver get there? And how did he know that they were going to be banging? And and also, right. like, he's how did he wait the whole time? I was going like, to say, he's hanging out for a really long time in the like, apartment. It seemed like they, like, took a nap afterwards. And then he's like, woke up. I was like, all right, time to take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was all and that. Was of it. course, you, as we all know, a bath towel of looked to be of the highest Motel Six caliber, uh, completely muffles a, a pistol blast. 
to the point that a, a cop who is trained in ballistics and firearms would have no idea that a firearm was was unloaded within eight feet of her. Right. Well, I mean, she again, she's not even sure that Tom Sizemore had a gun or the amount of people that were in the convenience store. She might That's not true. be so, a good cop. Like, I'm yeah, just- so it really explains why police chief Kevin Dunn was so <laughs> mad that she was made a detective after immediately getting her badge and gun put on suspension the day before. It's like, well, we need to bring her back on the force. So we can keep an eye on her. I guess she's a detective now. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, like there's it, ways yeah. to keep an eye on someone without like promoting them to like a position that's not they're not a fit for. Well, and it's, it's it's really there's like a moment too where her and Clancy Brown are in a car at one point and he's talking about the threat to her and he's like, don't worry, we're not going to put like surveillance on you or anything. And I'm like, you put surveillance you on her. <laughs> like, right. That's right. what you should be doing, not promoting her to detective and like giving her her gun back. Was it is it was it like a bait? Was it a trap for Ron Silver? Was that part of the idea that I, like her being on they, the force? I don't think they knew there was a Ron Silver yet. No, I yeah. I, from what I gathered, it seemed like the logic was someone is killing people and is sending a message to her. So Clancy Brown, being the no nonsense detective, thought the the easiest way to catch this killer was just to have her with him while he was investigating it because she obviously must have some kind of information okay. that's going to lead okay i, I, I think see. that was the logic but as to why she was reinstated i don't really get that i know just go on a ride along right i mean yeah. she can just be there she doesn't have to have a weapon <laughs> yeah no and she probably shouldn't have no that was that was an interesting scene too like upon meeting clancy brown somehow he like comes in and storms off and is talking you know, locker room talk uh, to Kevin Dunn. And he chooses to reach into his pocket. Once he realizes Jamie Lee Curtis is there, reach into his pocket, pretend to shoot her with a comb. Yeah. Just to show right? how hot headed And then she, and, and, yeah, to show how hot headed she is. And she draws her gun on him because I think she thinks he's going to shoot her. And like, if you think this is a hot headed cop, are you going to like fake? shoot this person it was such an inch i don't know what he was trying to prove they both were lucky well right because <laughs> she's still she well them. also no one has taken her gun yet after the shooting <laughs> she still just has Good it in, in her boss's office That's but right. yeah, yeah yeah it's like i understand the like want to show that she's a hothead but yeah what if she shot you like that's clearly her move yeah, what if she murdered you right then and there? <laughs> right right oh man yeah this is a weird movie, man. Uh, do we want to? I feel like we should maybe touch on the end and then we can probably pivot. But like, I feel like we can't we can't get out of this part without talking about the very long and very bizarre ending sequence. That is like just this really long shootout through public space in Manhattan. That's like going on forever. And it's, it's it's something like straight out of heat, really. Yeah, yeah it, right. It, and yeah. it starts on the sub. Well, it starts in Central Park, then goes to the subway, then goes to a street, I think. Like, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just like in real Manhattan. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like they're they're in the subway. They're shooting at each other through crowds. And then and then at some point, Jamie Lee Curtis gets control of a car and drives it at him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because the woman in the car got shot, I think. And so she's like, you get out. (laughs) She throws her to the ground. (laughs) She commandeers that vehicle and then runs him down. He is, after having been shot multiple times and then getting hit by a car going reasonably fast. Yeah. 
fine. There's a little he bit of like, yeah, I was just gonna say he doesn't even try to dodge the car either. Like he's no, not, he's, he's just not like I car can take proof. It. I know that's what he thinks. I mean, I guess he does. I mean, he's hearing voices, so I guess <laughs> anything's on the table. So the '80s would have you believe. But yeah, sorry, I mean, Joel, you do I enough think. coke, you feel like you can take on a car. But he and... is he's shot multiple times throughout the movie. I think every mm. encounter they have, she shoots him and he runs away. <laughs> but he's like. He's got like three bullet wounds going into the final scene. <laughs> oh, he pulls a bullet out of his body with his bare hands at one point. And Catherine like Bigelow really zooms in <laughs> yeah. too. It she loves it. Oof. I, I think on a long enough timeline, he would have just died of sepsis. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, it I wouldn't mean, have been that long of a timeline. The next day, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He had infections. Yeah, that were advancing. Like he must have smelled terrible. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, so just, so pivot, yeah, no, that, and then the movie. No, before we pivot, okay. and then the movie just ends. No denouement whatsoever. Right? Yeah, hard. And again, just, like she's sitting in the car. She yeah. is in like a fugue state. Credits. Mm-hmm. Credits roll. Which is why yeah. I think that you forgot that Clancy Brown was alive because there's like one offhanded mention that he's I'll not get him dead to the hospital. and that he's in a hospital, but then we don't check in on him again or anything else. There's no like funeral for her friend. There's no, no. Yeah, you would have thought knows if her parents are alive. They probably are. But who knows? Not oh. for long. She's 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 snapped. That's what the end of that movie. Is. Also, like That's Richard true. Jenkins is still coming for her badge. I feel like. Oh, yeah, like, she is. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Because <laughs> I don't know why the ending would clear her necessarily. Like, just be, I mean, I guess you have Clancy Brown now as another you have the woman I, she threw out of the car as a uh, as a witness. I know, but if we've she learned can remember anything after her concussion. I was gonna right. say we've learned that eyewitnesses are useless in this movie, so it's entirely yeah. possible that woman doesn't even remember that there was a person with a gun. You know, so like, I, <laughs> she, it's like I don't even have a driver's license. Yeah, I don't know that they definitively <laughs> have proved that. Eugene Hunt is the murderer by the time she kills him. Like, I, for all we know, I think those credits are rolling because she's in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Like, right now. I mean, it's very sad. Everybody's very sad at the end of the movie. Nobody's (laughs) excited. No. I want the sequel that's just the trial. Just Richard Jenkins and the the beleaguered DA that's assigned to this case, uh, probably played by, um, got the other guy from, a few good men, not Jack Nicholson, not Tom Cruise. Oh, uh, anyway. Kevin Pollack. Yes, Kevin oh, Pollack is the other Kevin one. Pollack would be wonderful. <laughs> he, he was he, perfect time for Kevin Pollack. Um, mm-hmm. and he's the beleaguered DA trying to make sense of this case. And yeah, and then I want to see that movie. Yeah. And it's I, just they call as a witness the guy from the picnic who is like, I don't know. She told me she wanted to be a cop because she wanted to hurt people. <laughs> Yeah, he's he is a big danger to her. Um, I I kept on expecting this movie to like insert some humor, and Clancy Brown does a little bit, but Jamie Lee Curtis does not. Like, no. she's utterly humorless in this movie. Yeah, really. And I I kept on. Um, yeah, I expected a little bit of levity, and it never came. <laughs> Which is a shame because Jamie Lee Curtis is hilarious. Like, if oh, you right. gave totally. her a funny actress, yeah, like if you oh, gave yes. her funny stuff to do, she could have done it. But yeah, the, the character is utterly like but, humorless. I mean, her character is sure the lead. I think says eighty four words throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't really get to know anybody in this movie, but no. I, her, yeah, like for it's a really good point for the protagonist. I. 
don't have much of a sense of her. <laughs> right. And again, there's so much dialogue about that she wants to be a cop to hurt people. And I guess maybe you could connect the threads with her dad. But it's like I would have liked a little bit more justification as to why she wanted this job and views it as a chance to shoot people and to like be some sort of like rogue vigilante. Right. The movie is almost bookended with this idea that she is nothing more than Ron Silver that made her way into the force, right? Like, it's right. almost like the end is that too and the beginning, but the middle right. <laughs> really drops it. Which again, I think like the template is something like justified, like that really is exploring that of like, what is the difference between these two characters? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and yeah, obviously that's a formula that works. It's just the movie isn't interested enough in it. And it's almost like eventually... She'd have more time to think about it. And eventually Catherine Bigelow would realize maybe cop and criminal aren't so different. And maybe right. <laughs> maybe they could right. care about each other in a meaningful way. And maybe you know, the next I film. I don't think any movie has ever explored that dynamic ever in the history of cinema. <laughs> so we, you may be onto something here, Joel, that we might have an idea for something. Like, what if they're not that? What if we're not that different, you and I? You know who would be great for it? I'm thinking because of all the John Wick movies, Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Hmm. I think he could do it. I think he could pull it off. (laughs) Even like a young Keanu Reeves might have been perfect. Right. If we could rewind time somehow. (laughs) Yeah. If only. I mean, you know, he'd be a perfect, just charismatic uh, bank robber, criminal type guy. And I mean, rest in peace. But Patrick Swayze. Oh, yeah. Totally. Again, but again, you know, we don't have time travel. So the two of them together. Grow his hair out. Yeah. (laughs) Just get get a sweet mullet. And yeah. Yeah. All right. So silver lining, uh, silver linings. Yeah. Clancy Brown rules. Love that guy, man. Yeah. No, Clancy Brown is one of my favorite character actors of all time. I have never not wanted to see him in a movie like he adds so much. And even like you said, like promising young woman, which is kind of a thankless, just like I'm a dad role. Yeah. Like he adds so much to everything he does. And it's yeah, he's playing a very like stock like. Hey, I'm no nonsense. Like I've been on the force forever, seen I'm everything. A tough cop, but it's still very captivating watching him do it. And also, whatever perm that he has in this movie, a plus. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. yeah, that that hair, that straight up uh, bassist for Journey hair that he has going on. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. No, but I mean, he like his just such a charismatic figure. But like never at the expense, like he doesn't take away from any, he's always value added. Like that's, I think the best thing about, cause he's like, he's, I think really tall anyway. So he's like an imposing presence just naturally. Um, But yeah, just like, but never takes over, never takes attention away from what the scene's supposed to be about. Even in like as trite a movie as this is uh, still, you know, does it. And uh, yeah, so I love Killman. This whole cast, and this movie has a good cast. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, even in bit parts, I mean, you have Oscar winner Louise Fletcher as the mom, utterly wasted for such a <laughs> yes. fantastic actress. Uh, Tony winner Philip Bosco as the abusive dad. Um, and then like Ron Lester, who I think perfected playing the sleazy 80s Wall Street banker to a degree that or not uh, Ron Silver. Um, yeah. You know, and then uh, Kevin Dunn is another great character actor as the police chief. Uh, Richard Jenkins in a tiny role. Um, and this is very early on in his career i think before he be, sort of became one of those that guy character actors and i mean jamie lee curtis is great 
I always love Jamie Lee Curtis. So, but, you know. by the way, it's funny. Like Richard Jenkins is one of those people because this is early in his career, but he's one of those people that just always seems like he's been fifty years old his entire life. So I have no idea how old he is in this movie, but he's just sort of. He looks exactly the same. Yeah, he's timelessly Richard <laughs> he Jenkins. Really is. Yeah, he's. It's, yeah, he has a little bit more forehead now, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And is it Elizabeth Pena? Is that the woman's yeah, that's the best name? Friend. And she, I think she's great too. I did. Um, I like. I I thought it was wasted that Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't like able, and it was almost like she wanted to do more comedy, but it just wasn't in the script. But I did. I was focusing on the way that like she was doing some of these line readings, and I was just God bless her. Like the script, really, like you said, Andy, it's eighty four words, but sometimes she really she's given it her all. Like oh, she's no, she, like she's, reading things in a way that's like, oh, she's probably just trying to make this make sense. Like she <laughs> she has a, if Jamie, I know you're listening, uh, <laughs> and. If you want to come on, because I know you have answers to all of the questions we've raised. Yeah. You've done, you, you've read an actor prepares. You've done the homework. You know, you know, um, one of two Megan Turners inside and out. <laughs> she even did research on the other Megan Turner. Yeah, in New exactly. York at the time, the right. eighty-six-year-old yeah. uh, nursing home resident Megan Turner, the only right. other Megan Turner. In New oh York. my god! Yeah, I. You know, a silver lining for me, and I. I wonder if you both will agree, or one of you will agree, but um, <laughs> I do think that Catherine Bigelow has a way of um looking at violence and gun violence and not making it look very fun. <laughs> like, oh, meaning, yeah. like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be somebody that shoots a gun. I don't want to be somebody around someone that shoots a gun. This all. And it, it actually reminds me of a scene in Point Break of the drug bust scene, too, which a lot of it reminded me of that scene where it's like the squib. <laughs> um, fun learning moment for me. Um, and just like everything is just kind of dark and scary and it's not fun it just yeah. looks scary and bad well that was like uh molly was kind of like coming in and out of the room when i was watching it and she happened to see the the tom sizemore getting shot and like mm -hmm. her eyes got really big and she was sort of like this is really gratuitous and i i did kind of look at her and i was like yeah i think it's supposed to be but like it's yeah. it really is like it's he, again, the squibs like are <laughs> exploding and like he flies Just through the like, everywhere. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it is super violent. And the the sound mixing, like the gunshots mm -hmm. are really loud. Like it's because a lot of times movies try to like make guns, you know, it's like they, they kind of blend it more. So it's more easier on the ears. Like her gunshots right. rattle. Yeah, it doesn't. No, it's, it's not like dancing. <clears throat> like it doesn't look it's not glorifying. It, no, it's I not think. choreographed at all. No, the, yeah. like, it's. It's gritty, but not in a glorifying way. Right. Yeah. Like, which is weird because the opening credits are like gun porn is yeah. the other weird thing. Yeah. Like, it's just this close up of like going in and out of all the curves and, and right. nuances of, of the revolve, the Smith and Wesson revolver and everything. Which but I yeah, did. No. It's weird. I actually was reading some stuff that I think it was like a Huey Lewis in the news video or something. She was actually trying to use like new technology and special cameras mm. to get a lot of the the exactly what you're talking about those like internal gun parts shots <laughs> like she really was yeah. interested in uh i don't know like yeah close-ups of the gun in every way possible and is that the title is that blue steel of like the blue steel of the gun or yes. is it like blue the force is it I, all of it i, I, I assumed it was clancy brown's model like looks into the camera i mean the, blue his, steel. yeah his his uh peepers there though that's the real blue steel that's blue those steel are, that the that that 
shade that only his eyes can give is but, blue steel. But yeah, I get my best in all sincerity. I guess like blue as in cop and steel as in guns. Cop guns. It should have been called hard, like yeah. yeah. Should have been called. I heard cop the other guns. title was Hot Fuzz, so I don't know. <laughs> I would have called it Cop Guns. I think Cop Guns. <laughs> Gun <laughs> Cop. <laughs> That's kind of what it was. I will say, in um, and because I had never heard of this movie, and in googling it, half of the images were like the title card with um, or you know, the cover with Jamie Lee Curtis, and half was Ben Stiller from Zoolander, yeah, giving yeah. a look to the camera. I mean, and is that is that at all like a play on it? Like, I, was that? I don't I know. No idea. Yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, I, I will tell you for uh, a little behind the scenes for the listeners. We were talking about doing women filmmakers this month, and I'm like, I will bet that Catherine Bigelow has something just awful in her early filmography. Oh. <laughs> and, and I think I was right. And so, yeah. But no, like this, you can see that there is a great director making this movie. Like oh, that's yeah. really clear. Even though, you know. Some choices here, some choices there are a little confusing. There's some narrative messes. Um, you know that this is, you know, it, it. if someone saw this and then Hurt Locker, they'd be like, okay, yeah, like, you know, yeah. like, yeah, of course, this is the director that will be the first woman to win an Academy Award for right. directing. You know, and it's just, yeah. It, um, and again, like I mentioned before, too, but like, this is just such a nostalgia trip for that era of movie making for me like just the just this kind of gritty police procedural low budget thriller cop crook two sides of the same coin all that like they they made those movies like 50 of those a year in the early 90s <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, honestly, and, and half of them i think starred ron silver <laughs> and tom sizemore yeah so you know just um yeah, so like that that was a fun nostalgia trip for me too. Yeah, it kind of reminds me too. There's a lot of like novels that I read like, you know, cheap like easy novels that do this kind of thing too. Yeah, it's definitely like a a bygone era of storytelling. Patterson's entire bibliography. Dude, yeah, this straight up is a James Patterson like book 100%. Like I'm pretty sure I read Blue Steel at an airport like one day. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's it's super fun and it, it works. I think there's some weird choices that are made overall, but it's it's a very watchable movie and it's definitely a good director that you can see all the pieces. Yeah, Joel, I mean, I think you were saying that the premise I'm I'm there for the premise too, like the way it's described and it just felt like they lost their way in the middle Maybe in particular with Ron Silver's character, like if he would have had a clearer path, I think it would have tied together better. But it kind of it just it just feels like the student film that became Point Break eventually. <laughs> yeah, it feels like like they needed to go one of two ways. And I think either would have worked. I don't know that I prefer one to the other, but it's either the he's obsessed with her two sides of the coin and he's very smart and calculating and is like figuring out how to to outmaneuver her in this chess match or he has a gun land next to him is completely unhinged and mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. goes on a killing spree and she's sort of responsible for it because it's the gun from her crime scene and then like they don't actually have the interactions that they have i think either approach would have worked but they don't work together right yeah and his i i mean i guess a uh, um a silver silver lining <laughs> in like <laughs> those scenes with him and the at the floor of wall street 
he's like fantastic. He is so, I don't know, like, um, it, I can't imagine it's like that easy to act in a sea of people that are just screaming at the top of their lungs, throwing paper everywhere. And he manages like some pretty subtle, like, looks and um i i bought it like i don't know those scenes were pretty impressive um yeah they were i'm always amused when i see wall street in a movie because i i don't have the brain for it at all anyway but it does just seem like that that it's just people shouting over each other and i don't Uh, know how anything is actually bought or sold because it would be like what i'm sorry huh oh i know (laughs) it's just utter chaos (laughs) just guys flashing hands and like ripping off paper (laughs) as if we don't have better ways to do that right um and the poor person that just has to sweep up all of that at the end which they show in this movie of just yeah like just pushing the paper (laughs) all those failed sell orders yeah no one thinks to clean up after themselves oh man that's a great i feel like that's a great premise for a movie is the guy sweeping up at the mm-hmm. end of the day and then he just finds something on the ground that's like either it's a stock or it's like totally. some it's insider to- order that didn't go through and if it did it would completely change the value of something yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a good opening like like setup for a movie that none of us are equipped to write because right. we don't understand <laughs> enough about wall street but- <laughs> oh man I mean, yeah. you can make the argument that most people that make wall street movies don't understand a lot about wall street yeah, except uh, the Dark Knight Rises. I think that captured that is exactly it. how stocks work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. If if armed uh, criminals in motorcycle gear show up and force a trade through, that trade goes through because hey, you know, uh, trades go through no matter how rules are rules. fraudulently that they are brought about. Look, Bruce Wayne, reclusive billionaire, just happened to waste his entire fortune at the same time that those armed men were robbing the stock exchange. No questions. Like that's how yeah, it works. That- <laughs> And so let's immediately shut off his electricity. Well, that was, that felt like that electrician had like the power company had it out for Bruce Wayne. Like clearly, like they were waiting. Yeah, <laughs> our biggest customer on the east side of Gotham. <laughs> Screw you, pal. <laughs> I mean, come on. It, let's be honest. Like if if Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos was a day behind on their bill, I and I worked at the electric company, I would flip that switch. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah, no, that goes. Uh, I hope anyone would. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Blue Steel, which I feel like we did. I don't know if anyone else did. has any yeah. other closing silver linings. Before we close the stock exchange for for <laughs> ring the final bell to, yeah. to close trading on this movie. No, it's um, this is. It is a deeply flawed, but still watchable movie. Yeah, I it's think that's, that's I think that's it's a great it. director one step away from doing their masterpiece, which will happen a year later. And you can see all the parts. <laughs> They're just not yeah. quite connecting. But yeah, I mean, it's like Catherine Bigelow is the best. I mean, like oh, she's great. Yeah. So good. And, and this is still super fun. And you can imagine a world where like you maybe I don't know how Hollywood works, but like where you wouldn't have to have convinced these actors to do a film with her. Right. Like she got really awesome actors and hopefully they had a really good experience because she seems like a really good director. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I would have jumped at the chance to be in this oh, movie. Yeah. Like I, whatever, whatever you need me to play. Like, well, I, yeah. yeah, all of her movies have fantastic casts. Yeah. Yeah, they really like, do. Outside, if there's if there's one. uh Outside of like, you know, she has a sort of a way she constructs a shot that is uh, that is very distinctly her. But her, her movies have like 
top to bottom, like small, no role too small for a really great yeah. actor. And that's, right. you know, that's something that's really true in, in most of her movies. Well, and also like her and Ben Affleck are the, the only two people who have properly used Jeremy Renner in a movie. Like everyone else kind of like has him as an afterthought, but like he's fantastic yeah. in the Hurt Locker. Yeah. Yeah, I think we did it. So, uh, Katie, thanks for doing this. Uh, oh, my goodness. I, Thank you for having me. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to plug or give our listeners a way to find out more about oh, you and a, what you do? That's a good call. I think first and foremost, I want to plug uh, gun safety. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whether you watch Blue Steel or not. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I would be remiss to not plug uh, uh, our uh, my podcast, uh, one of three podcasters that hosts uh, Is It For Real? Spelled R-E-E-L. In a delicious pun. <laughs> yes. Um, which Joel has participated by providing an intro. It's a, it's a movie podcast where we kind of ask, um, are movies for real? Like movies that you may have seen or not. We Our rule is like movies before two, 2000 or before. Uh, we can't wait to have Andy on to do an intro as well. Um, find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, which I think is like <laughs> Apple and Podbean. Spotify. Um, probably Spotify, I mean, probably yeah. probably <laughs> who knows <laughs> you can tell oh man um yeah hopefully a, a co-podcaster of mine might be a better <laughs> better at like the actual official things but yeah and i would venture to say if you are listening to this and you enjoyed it that you will also enjoy their podcast because Agreed. it is obviously a lot of the same kind of nostalgia and love of movies that you'll hear here and it, it's a delightful show and it is three people that i like quite a bit that are uh very fun to listen to interact and it's nice because I miss all of you. So it's it's cool. To, yeah, yeah, I miss you too, both as well. So it was just like such a delight to see your faces and do this. And I am a fan of this podcast um, for sure. So, um, yeah, I love listening to you guys. And it was really fun to do this. Well, and also now you have to come back every week so you can do our theme song live. So yeah, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> because Sounds the, great. All right. Perfect. You heard it. You're, you're committed. Yeah. <laughs> Lock it in. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's the podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.com.